what a powerful message in song, and what a great, great week to, to have it. This Palm Sunday, as we think about so many markers, so many momentous moments that we remember in this week, from the, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem to Maundy Thursday and gathering with the disciples in the upper room. As we think about Friday and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and of course look forward to the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ next Sunday morning on Easter Sunday. And this morning we're kind of putting a lot of those things together, and you've heard them already in song, and in just a few moments we're going to take up the bread and the cup. But before we do that, I wanted to take just a moment and, and, and think about uh, the cross, and particularly the crucifixion. In the weeks leading up to this Sunday, we've been looking at some of the characters of the crucifixion, and I want us to spend just a few moments before the bread and the cup looking at the crucifixion itself. For Jesus did something pretty radical. We look at the cross kind of one way through our lens and our experience, but the people of that day would have seen the cross radically differently. That they would have seen it not, not as, not as this, this symbol of hope and, and faith and all this, but they would have seen it as, as a symbol of failure, as a symbol of shame. And what Jesus did on his death on the cross, he changed that symbol. He changed its meaning for millions and millions and millions of people. That it is no longer this thing that was so horrible that no one should ever approach it, and it was a disgrace and a shame to ever, ever be on a cross. But now it's a symbol of hope. It's a symbol of power. It's a symbol of of what God has done for us. It's a symbol of extraordinary faith. And I thought, before we take the bread and the cup, let's just take a few moments and think about this symbol. Think about the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The Gospels record the crucifixion for us, and they all bring different nuances to the narrative. And I want to just start by reading part of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to begin reading in verse 45, encourage you to follow along. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, the man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. God. As we think about the cross, I I want you just to reflect with me this morning around kind of four dimensions of that. And the first is the intentionality of the cross. The intentionality of the cross. That that this was not this was not an oops or an accident, but it was intentional. 
The first proclamations of the early church centered around that truth. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Please understand, as we look at the cross of Jesus, we're not looking at an unfortunate event. We're not looking at a, a mob out of control. We're not looking at a, at a riot. We're not looking at Jesus had this plan and then this kind of derailed the plan. No, no, no. This was the plan. There was this definite plan, this foreknowledge of God that would take Jesus to the cross. Before creation in the council of the Trinity was the formation of this plan. For our redemption. It was not an unfortunate event, but a part of God's plan. And because of that, Jesus was not a victim. He was a victor. On the cross, those who were taunting him, those who were watching, those who were making fun to see if Elijah would come, they probably saw he's a victim. What they didn't realize is that he was a victor. And in those moments on the cross, he was winning a victory. He was winning a victory over death. He was winning a victory over sin. He was winning a victory over the influence of Satan. He was not a victim that day, but he was a victor, a victory that he makes available to each of us through faith in him. When you look at the cross, we look at the intentionality of the cross. But you can't look at the cross without also looking at the suffering of the cross. The suffering of the cross. And this tends to be where many of us first go. We first look at, at suffering. Particularly, we're, we're drawn to or give attention to the physical suffering of the cross. The physical suffering. And it was intense. And it was horrific. If you've ever seen the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, it, it gives some, some sense of, uh, of the viciousness of, of those moments, of the severity of the, of the physical suffering, whether it was the, the, the beatings or the tauntings or the slaps or the crown of thorns or the tearing open of the back or the carrying of the cross or the crucifixion itself with the, the spikes driven through the, uh, the, the hands, the arms and the, the feet whether it's with the dehydration or the, the struggle to breathe. I mean, the physical suffering was immense, and it was real. But that was not the greatest suffering that day. The greatest suffering was the spiritual suffering. The spiritual suffering as Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, preparing himself for these moments that were lying ahead. He talked about that cup. And it wasn't the cup of the physical suffering, but it was the cup of the, the full wrath of God, the, the righteous wrath of a holy God against sin that was going to be poured out unto Jesus. And so on that cross, even as you, uh, you heard proclaimed in the music here, there was that, there was that recognition of the, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That in that moment that that face was turned as they, they um, displayed for us here. That this face was turned as, as the full weight of my sin and your sin. The full weight of humanity's sin and the righteous wrath of that was poured out upon the sinless one. Was poured out on Jesus Christ. That was the greatest suffering of that day. But in the midst of the physical suffering and the spiritual suffering... There was this triumphant shout. 
There was this triumphant shout. Uh, Matthew's gospel begins to point us there. John's gospel gives us a little more detail. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Significant choice of words. Tetelestai in the Greek. It was words that had meaning in that culture beyond maybe the meaning that we would automatically attach to it. It would be the word that uh, a servant might use when, when reporting back to his master to say, I've completed the work assigned to me. You gave me this task. You gave me this project. You gave me this to finish. And it is finished. I have completed the task. The job has been done. That job that was designed in the council of the Trinity before the creation of the world. This job was now complete as Jesus Christ absorbed and took upon himself the full righteous wrath of a holy God. He died for my sin and yours. The job was completed. The assignment was fulfilled. But it would have also been used, this word would have been used in the the, the marketplace. In the, in, the, in the area of a merchant, they might have worked, written that same word across a bill to indicate that the debt had been paid. The debt had been paid in full. It, it no longer was payment required because the payment had been made. The debt had been covered. The debt was paid in full. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He paid the debt in full. There are no works that I can bring or you can bring to the equation to make God love us more, to make God accept us, to to somehow pay for our sins. In the words of the old hymn, Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. He is the one who paid all of it. He paid it all. We hear his triumphant shout. But as you look at the cross, don't just think about the intentionality of the cross. Don't just think about the suffering of the cross. But I hope that you'll also this morning think about the meaning of the cross. And boy, we could go on and on and on about the the, the different facets of the meaning of the cross. But let me just suggest a few for us this morning. The first is, it reminds us that God knows what it is to suffer. God knows what it is to suffer. Sometimes we have this picture of of God aloof, God standing off, God have created the world and kind of set things in motion, but now he's this this distant deity kind of watching all of us struggle through life. But that's that's not God who has revealed himself in Scripture. That's not the God who, who went to the cross for you and I. This is a God well acquainted with suffering. This is a God who steps into our human suffering, who takes it upon himself. The cross reminds me that God knows what it is to suffer. Sometimes in the midst of suffering, sometimes when life is hard, we think God's forgotten us. God's deserted us. God doesn't know or God doesn't care. But the cross screams through the centuries. God knows. God cares. God's involved. He knows what it is to suffer. And he showed us on the cross 
how much he loves us. He shows us on the cross how much he loves us. Someone put it this way years ago. So the question was asked, how much does God love us? And Jesus spread out his arms on the cross and said, this much. This much. I could not love you more. I could not love you more perfectly. In fact, his love is so deep, so hard to get our minds around that one of the prayers that Paul had for followers of Christ is that they would come to know, they would come to a greater knowledge of the love of God, how deep and wide its length and breadth and on and on, that it was so large, it was so huge, it was so indescribable that we would have a lifetime and yes, all eternity to fully understand and appreciate the love of God. But at the cross, Jesus demonstrated once and for all, the love that God has for us. When you doubt the love of God, you run back to the cross. You run back to the cross. Because at the cross, he showed us how much he loves us. At the cross, God broke the stranglehold of sin in our lives. Because of what he did for us, because he took on the righteous wrath of God, because he paid the sin debt, sin no longer has the stranglehold. It no longer has to define my life. It no longer has to to dominate my life, but I can be set free from the stranglehold of sin. It no longer has to control me. I am not under the law. I am under grace. I am not under the dominion of sin. I am under God's empowering, transforming grace, and we're going to begin to talk about that amazing grace next Sunday. Sunday morning. I hope you'll be here. But he broke, he broke the stranglehold of sin in our lives. The cross says, don't you live under the dominion of sin. Don't you let sin that maybe you have walked in in days past continue to define your life because he died to set you free. He died to set you free. The cross also means that I can be liberated from the fear of death. I can be liberated from the fear of death. Because as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, death has been swallowed up in victory. The cross and the empty tomb combine together to say that death will not have the last word. For those that are in Jesus Christ, there is life. There's life eternal. There's life in his presence, not only in this moment, but to a much greater degree forever and ever. Death will not have the last word because Jesus conquered death. And in so doing, he can liberate us from the fear of death. There's the intentionality of the cross, the immense suffering of the cross. There's so much rich meaning to the cross. But I want you to think about one other thing this morning, and that is the call of the cross. The call of the cross. Look at the way that Paul described this call in writing to the Corinthians. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Please understand that inherent in the cross is a call. is a call to do something, a call to decide something. And sometimes the call of the cross is offensive. 
That people have throughout the centuries taken offense at the cross of Christ. People today take offense at the cross of Christ. It seems foolish. It seems folly. It seems insulting. How, how dare you suggest that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to be reconciled to God. How dare you suggest that I'm not good enough in and of myself. How dare you suggest that I need a Savior. How dare you judge me in that way? How dare you? The cross of Jesus Christ is offensive. If you have been active in sharing your faith, there are times when you will come to the experience that people understand the cross to be offensive. They, they, they are offended by the message of the gospel. They don't want to have anything to do with it. But sometimes, as Paul reminded the Corinthians, the message of the cross is redemptive. It's redemptive. While it seems foolish and folly to some, while it doesn't seem wise enough or smart enough to others, others understand that it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the one way to be made right with God. It is the one way to be restored to the relationship that God desired and designed from all creation. It is that which rescues. It is that which redeems our lives. The message of the cross is redemptive to those who respond to it, not, not by taking offense, but by humbling themselves, by understanding the reality of their sin and turning from that sin and placing their faith and trust not in their, their own wisdom and their own morality, but in the finished work of Jesus Christ, surrendering to him not only as their Savior, but to the leader and the rightful Lord of their lives. When that is our response, the message of the cross is redemptive. But I need you to understand, when we think about the call of the cross, the message of the cross is always decisive. It always demands a decision. It always forces us to decide, is this true or is it not? Will I receive it? Will I accept it? Will I align my life under it? Or will I ignore it? Will I reject it? Will I just uh, say it, it's not that important? Or will I say it is the most important message of all? It is the central reality, not only of all of history, but the central reality of my life. The message of the cross always, always, always forces a decision. It calls us to decide who is Jesus? What did he do on the cross? And ultimately, what are you going to do with him? And so as we think about this Palm Sunday, as in just a few moments we're going to take the bread and the cup, I'm just going to ask you, what have you decided about the cross of Jesus Christ? Have you decided to relinquish your rights of self-governance, if you will, and to turn your life past, present, and future over to him? Have you decided that the cross of Jesus Christ is your only hope now and for all eternity? Have you decided, in the words of the old hymn, to follow Jesus? No turning back. No turning back. Our heart's desire for you, our prayer for you this morning is that whoever would be in this room, whoever might even hear on a 
podcast or a TV broadcast as they hear the, the powerful words of this music this morning. As we take a few moments and remind us through the word of the cross that they would decide. That they would decide that there is nothing more important than submitting their life to the rightful lordship and the gracious offer of Jesus Christ through the cross. That is our hope for you today. And so I'm just going to ask you, if you would, would you bow your heads with me right now? As we pray in these moments, I want to pray for you. And I'm just going to ask you just just to just sit before the Lord and just ask him to show you, honestly, what have you decided about the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, I I just pray right now that that your spirit would do what only your spirit can do and take your word and quicken it to hearts and to heads. Father, I pray, I pray, Father, that that there may be somebody that came in here and they they came in here to go through the motions. They came in here to, to listen to some music. But Father, you had a divine appointment for them this morning that today is the day of their salvation. Palm Sunday 2016 is the day for them to come and to kneel before the cross of Jesus Christ. Today is the day for them to turn, to turn from trusting in themselves, turn from running their own lives, and turn and place their faith and their trust in the finished, completed, perfect work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Today, Father, just call them, call them to turn from sin and self and to trust you, to trust you to not only to be the forgiver of their sin, but to be the Lord, the leader of their life. Father, let today be the day of salvation. Father, I pray for your spirit to move among us even in these moments, Lord. For those that name the name of Jesus Christ, Father, would you just just radically reorient us back to the cross? Father, with all the things that call for our attention and our focus, for all the the minor things that we, we, we sometimes make major things, Father, would you bring us back to the main thing, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, would you, just, would you just, just take even these moments this morning, even, even as we prepare to take bread and cup, Father, would you just radically reorient us back to the lordship of Jesus Christ, to living in the, the power of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to ask you right now just to continue to sit before the Lord as you're just in that kind of posture of prayer. And I, I'm going to ask you to just give response to whatever it is that God may be prompting in you today before we take the bread and the cup. And one of the ways I'm going to ask you to do that is, is just please right now, go ahead and pull out a connect card. Brian mentioned it at the first of the service, but on the back of that connect card, and I'm just going to ask everybody to do this if you would, is a box that says my next step today is to... And I'm just going to ask you to look at those. Some of you here today, you just need to check that and say, Pastor Jeff, today is the day. Today is the day for me to acknowledge my sin and trust in Christ as the only way for me to experience God's forgiveness, for me to be reconciled with God. Today is the day for me to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to go public with that faith through the waters of baptism. Maybe God's led you to this church family. You can check any of those in that box right there. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to place that in a basket. But there's another way for you to respond today. And right right after the time of the Lord's Supper, right after we've taken the bread and the cup, we'll stand and we'll sing. And before you leave this room, I'm going to ask some of you to make your way to that connect room today. 
It's going to be a team of folks that is going to be there. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you about something going on in your life today. Maybe you have some questions about what it means to to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe today is the day for you just to let somebody know, I'm ready to be baptized, or I'm ready to take that step of, of church membership. That connect room is the place for you to go. That connect team will come alongside you in prayer, in guidance from the Word, or whatever it is. So I'm going to ask you, before you leave this room, make your way to that connect room. As you're continuing to respond to God, I'm asking our ushers to make their way to the front right now. And as they're coming right now, we're going to... In just a moment, worship God by returning to Him.